if a transvestite doesn't say I'm gay and I'm proud and I'm a transvestite, nobody else is going to say it for them. Marsha P. Johnson. Hello, good morning or good evening or wherever you are. You have tuned into Coffee with Collins, and I'm your host, Collins. Coffee with Collins is a weekly series where we discuss mental health, gender euphoria, words of wisdom, all in the span of your morning cup of joe. We will dive into our internal struggles and often alarming self-awareness. This isn't a place for surface-level Bettys. No, no, this is where we start when we are ready to start. And honey baby moonchild, you can start anytime you'd like. So grab a mug, dress your coffee however you'd like, and let's start the morning off right. This is Coffee with Collins, and your session begins now. Marsha P. Johnson was born on August 24th, 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. That's like nearish Newark, but not quite. She was identified male at birth. However, young Marsha enjoyed wearing clothing made for girls. Remember, 1945 is right at the end of World War II, so fathers are getting home from war, things are coming back to normal-ish, and we're going into the height of the 1950s. The gender roles, the male goes to work at a job in the city, wears suits, the woman is a housewife, provides for her family by cooking and cleaning and doing the whole thing. We've seen everything in media represented in the 1950s to be very perfect, the perfect family. But Marsha was looking for more. So Marsha was wearing clothes that made her feel good. But uh, after a boy sexually assaulted her, when she was only a child, she stopped wearing the clothes she loved and she felt comfortable in. After Marsha graduated high school, so this would be in the, in the 60s, Marsha moved to New York City with only $15 and a bag of clothes. She began dressing almost exclusively in women's clothes and adopted the full name Marsha P. Johnson. The P stood for pay it no mind. To her, this was a life motto and a response to questions about her gender. In 2022, it's easy to talk about gender as very personal to people and very pay it no mind. But this is the 60s and height of the sexual revolution is is occurring. But people are still rejecting things that they don't know. And a lot of laws have not changed yet. In the previous episode, we did talk about the riots that happened at Cooper's Donuts. This was right around that time. 
So we're still having people arrested for not looking like the gender that they're assigned on their license. They're being arrested for going to gay bars or being sexual and affectionate towards a same-sex partner. This was the reality at the height of the revolution of the the queer riot culture. And this is why Marsha P. Johnson is what I would say would be the icon of Stonewall, the icon of pride. The reason, the reason we fight is for people who existed like Marsha P. Johnson. Historians do today and former friends of Marsha have described her as a trans woman. So when we talk about trans woman, um, we'll use trans woman. But Marsha did describe herself as a transvestite, a gay person, and a drag queen. So when we use those things in our vocabulary when I'm continuing to tell the story, just know that these words didn't exist. So it's important to honor her legacy by honoring her with current words like transgender and not really use transvestite. That's a derogatory term. But for the sake of the story and the sake of how she's described herself, those things will be interchangeably. Interchangeable? (laughs) But she did use um, she, her pronouns. But Marsha was a part of the growing LGBTQ plus community. And a lot of the youth sought acceptance in New York City. A lot of Children, think children in the outskirts in the Elizabeths in New Jersey and the Newark, New Jersey and Bergen County and in Rockland County and even in Westchester. Those people that were being exiled from their homes for being who they are, that weren't the standard, the heteronormative, were running away to New York City. Because at least there they could be themselves. And Marsha found a huge community with youth. People who have run away from home or been kicked out of home for being gay, for being queer. In the 1950s and 1960s, as you remember, LGBTQ plus people's rights were strictly limited. Remember, they were being arrested and they were being thrown in jail. They were being detained. They were being literally dehumanized. They couldn't dance with their partners of the same sex. They couldn't even cross-dress. It was just maddening. Because of all of this, it was really difficult for Marsha to find work. She couldn't really go and be a server at a restaurant or work in a retail store. She realized the fastest way to make money was to hustle. And anyone who's ever been poor knows that hustle, that I have to make 
$2,700 in 30 days, or I need to make 27 bucks tonight, or I need to go home with 900 bucks tonight. So you hustle, you do it because you, it's either that or death. But Marsha's hustle knew that she had to be a sex worker. And at the height of the sexual revolution and a lot of, a lot of businessmen would proposition women and grow to peep shows or find themselves in back alleyways doing glory holes and, you know, Lord knows what, because there was this urge. And Marcia knew that it was a hustle. However, because Marcia was transgender, the work especially due to the stigmatization of sex workers, was really dangerous. Marsha often found herself alone with strangers in hotel rooms, in cars, in alleyways, in bathrooms. A lot of times these strangers would be violent. Marsha has written in letters about guns being pulled on her and even being shot at. And it's not like you can just go to a hospital and say, "Hi, hey, I've been shot. What were you doing? Oh, I was just sex working. When you're clearly trans or clearly cross-dressing or clearly doing something like sex work, you have to figure it out yourself. Marcia spent a lot of her time without a home. She slept in hotel rooms and restaurants and movie theaters and cars. She sometimes would be able to crash with friends, but those never really seemed to last. Even when she found work waiting tables, and I, I mentioned before that a lot of a lot of people who looked like Marsha wouldn't be serving at the nicest restaurants, especially since she was black wouldn't be serving a lot of white guests during this time. And even though Marsha did find some work waiting tables and performing at drag shows and hosting gigs and all the things, she still made more money being a sex worker, even though the risks were there. When Marsha arrived in New York City when she was 17, she did meet someone named Sylvia Rivers, who was only 11 years old. Sylvia was a Puerto Rican trans woman who moved to New York because she was kicked out. The two became instant friends because they had very similar upbringings. Marsha taught Sylvia how to apply makeup, live on the street, look out for yourself, look out for each other, and look out for trouble. She also encouraged Sylvia to love herself and her identity because there was nothing wrong with Sylvia. Marsha enjoyed expressing herself through her appearance. She's known for her lavish outfits, all often made from thrift store finds, gifts from friends, things made out of the dumpster. She can make anything look beautiful. She also wore a lot of these elaborate flower crowns that I, I think are the most identifiable about her personal style. 
So up to this point, Marsha's had a really hard life. Her life dramatically changed when he she found herself near the Stonewall Inn in the wee hours of June 28, 1969. That night, police officers raided that gay bar. As the officers began to arrest people for violating various discriminatory laws, the patrons of Stonewall fought back. Just like the Cooper's Donuts riots 10 years prior, there is strength in numbers. And while there are so many conflicting stories about who started what and what started what, it was clear that Marsha was one of the first people on the front lines. In one account that I was reading, she started the uprising by throwing a shot glass at a mirror. In another, she climbed up a lamppost and dropped a heavy purse onto a police car, shattering the windshield. Young trans women like Marsha were particularly vocal that night because they felt that they had nothing left to lose. And when you have nothing left to lose, you're going to throw the bricks. You're going to throw the shot glasses. You're going to throw the heavy purses and you're going to get the fuck out of there while making a statement. Their rage was not just about the police. It was about the oppression and fear that they felt every single day. Marsha has been quoted to saying, darling, I want my gay rights now. I think about time. I think it's about time the gay brothers and sisters got their rights, especially women. The Stonewall Uprising was an awakening for the entire generation of LGBTQ plus activists. Marsha found herself attending these rallies, sit-ins, meetings with newly formed gay liberation fronts. People were on the move and they were going. She was excited about the work, but she was constantly frustrated at how white gay men and lesbians dominated the conversations, but black trans women were not. She questioned where transgender people filled in. Trans were most likely to be homeless. They were targeted by the police. They were often victims of violence. And in Marsha's time, the movement did not appreciate the extent to which transgender youth needed help and support, like she gave to Sylvia. And in 1970, Sylvia came to Marsha with the idea. She wanted to protect young trans people living on the street by giving them a home. She asked Marsha to help her create a place where people could feel safe, unite, and fight for their rights. Marsha and Sylvia later formed the Street Transvestite Activist Revolutionaries, or STAR, S-T-A-R. The first star house was in the back of an abandoned truck in Greenwich Village. Nearly 24 people called the truck home. Sylvia and Marsha hustled every night to make sure their new family had breakfast every morning. I mean, that is incredible. Incredible. Not only that 24 people fit in the back of a truck, but that... These women were advocating not just to be figureheads, but for every person that they came across with to feel safe, loved, and nurtured. 
A lot of these kids came from homes that did not afford the same, the same liberties. So while Sylvia and Marsha were having this uh, safe, safe place, one morning they returned to the truck just as it was pulling away with a lot of these residents sleeping inside. Apparently the truck was not actually abandoned as they watched their kids jump from the moving truck, Marcia and Sylvia realized that they needed a physical home. So they found an abandoned building with no electricity or running water. They fixed up the building. They paid rent for nearly eight months. They got that place working and they got more kids inside. However, during the cold winter months, Times got tough, money got tighter, and rent just went up. When they couldn't pay any longer, they were evicted. But the impact that Star had already been felt and had been growing in New York City. Even without lodging, Star provided a safe haven for people who had never been in a place to call home. As the gay liberation movement became increasingly white, middle-class, and cisgender. Star reminded everyone that transgender and gender non-conforming people deserved equal rights too. When the organizers of Gay Pride Parade tried to ban Star, they showed up anyways. Could you fucking imagine? Could you? Like, I want you to fucking imagine. Because I see that this is happening right now. (laughs) But Pride like the Stonewall riots were because trans women got involved. We're in the front lines. They were like, I'm going to fight for your fucking rights. And these cis white gay men were like, okay, we have some sort of, um, you know, we're, we're similar, but we're going to be the face of the queer revolution And they wanted to ban these people that were just fighting for them. And instead of Marsha being like, fuck all of you, fuck, we're not going, like, you all can fuck off. She showed up. She fucking showed up. And in 1975, artist Andy Warhol crossed paths with Marsha. And he photographed her for his Ladies and Gentlemen series. When a Warhol screen print of Marsha went on display in Greenwich Village, Marsha took some friends to see it. However, the store owners called her a riffraff and threw her out. What the fuck? (laughs) Marsha's whole life seemed to be a balance between popularity and exclusion. She helped create this movement. And after it started to get some formation found herself on the outskirts. Throughout Greenwich Village, she was known as Saint Marcia. Locals admired her and her community admired her even more for being truly herself. She always had the reputation of being generous and kind. She gave people clothes and food even when she had very little of her own. 
it is so hard to hear things like this because Marsha had a really difficult life and yet she gave so much of herself for other people. Even though she was popular and everyone knew her, Marsha did live in poverty and was susceptible to so much danger. She had been arrested over a hundred times. She believed no one should hustle or live on the streets, but she knew no other way to survive. And in 1990, Marsha contracted AIDS. She spoke publicly about it and told people she hoped they would not be afraid of those who had the disease. And during the height of the AIDS epidemic, many people turned their backs on her. On July 6, 1992, Marsha's body was found floating in the Hudson River. Police officers ruled her death as suicide, but her closest friends and acquaintances knew this was not it. They thought it was more likely that Marsha was victim of an attack as she had been sex working. Trans women, especially women of color, were regular targets of hate crimes. The LGBTQ plus community was furious. The police did not investigate her death. And at her funeral, hundreds of people showed up. The church was so full that the crowd spilled into the streets. The case for Marsha's death was closed for so many years. In 2012, 20 years later, the New York City Police Department finally agreed to reopen the case, yet the case still remains unsolved. Since then, Marsha has become an icon of the transgender community. In 2019, New York City announced that a statue of Marsha and Sylvia would be the first monument to honor trans women in the city. And in 2020, New York State renamed a waterfront park in Brooklyn after Marsha. If you're interested in a really great documentary about Marsha P. Johnson, there is one over on Netflix. If you have Netflix, it's called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. I highly recommend it. I think it would be a necessary watch, especially for Pride Month. Marsha's legacy has grown quite a bit, especially right now with all of the bills and political movement from conservatives and Republicans to demonize trans people, especially trans children. Marsha's legacy isn't going anywhere. She was often called the Rosa Parks of the LGBTQ plus movement and the Queen of West Village. She influenced thousands, including myself, towards the same goal liberation and equality for the LGBTQ plus community, specifically black, trans, black transgender individuals.
the Marsha P. Johnson Institute was established, which is a program sponsored by Social Good Fund, which serves Black and trans people across the country. You can go ahead and take a look. I'll put resources down below. Many people have paid homage to Marsha P. Johnson, especially, I mean, the one that comes to mind is Nikki Tutorials, who at the 2021 Met Gala were the iconic Marsha P. Johnson floral look bearing her mantra of pay it no mind. In that same year, was it last year that Nikki Tutorials was blackmailed into coming out as transgender? And I, I think for many people like Nikki Tutorials, many other queer people in the community, Marsha is the reason an icon because if Marsha can do it, we can do it. There's a huge need for beacons like Marsha to exist in the queer community, to fight for people whose voices have been silenced for so long. I get very uh, emotional. I get chills because People like Marsha don't come along all the time. People like Marsha aren't unnoticed. People like Marsha are often scrutinized and criticized. But during Pride Month, we should also be thinking about the people who paved the way for Pride. And I think that Marsha P. Johnson has done that. I think Marsha P. Johnson is, is really the queen of Pride Month. And so when you think about Pride Month and you think about how annoying Target is for their, their Pride clothing or every company you've known turning their logos on social media to the rainbow or capitalism trying to really just suffocate the, the LGBTQ plus community. Just remember people like Marsha P. Johnson who hustled her way so that people would feel safe. And that's just kind of all, all that really matters is safety. I hope that you've enjoyed this little short episode again of Coffee with Collins. I hope that you learned something and I want to know what you think. What do you think of Marsha P. Johnson? What do you think of her impact on the LGBTQ plus community? Let me know. You can do it in the comments below if there are comments available or you can go over to coffeewithcollins.com. There's a little section. Tell me what you think. I hope that you are having a beautiful day. I hope that you are blessed today. And I hope that Marsha's legacy can live on through us all. In the words of Marsha P. Johnson, 
I was going to say in the words of Marsha B. Johnson, do no harm, but take no shit. But she didn't say that. (laughs) I wrote down the wrong quote. Well, um, in the words of your Auntie Collins, do no harm, but take no shit. Um, Be gay, do crimes. I will see you at the next episode. Bye.